Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Eyes on Earth. We're a podcast that focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people here at Eros and across the globe who use remote sensing to monitor and study the health of Earth. My name is Tom Adamson, your host for this episode, where we'll talk about what's going on with Landsat 7. Our guest today is Chris Crawford, USGS Research Physical Scientist, USGS Landsat Project Scientist, co-chair of the Landsat Science Team, and Landsat Science Data Acquisition Manager. Now, Landsat 7 launched on April 15, 1999. Its nominal science mission just ended back in April of this year. So, Chris, where is Landsat 7's orbit right now? How high up is it? Thanks, Tom, for the opportunity to talk about Landsat 7 today. So back in late 2016, early 2017, the USGS realized that uh, Landsat 7 uh, was running low on fuel. And fuel is important uh, for a Landsat observatory because it helps the observatory maintain its inclination and do drag makeup maneuvers over the course of its operational mission. And this is important to maintain its positional altitude uh, as it acquires imagery. In August of 2017, USGS did one last uh, flight operations maneuver to bring up Landsat 7 back to its final inclination. And then from that point on, the inclination uh, began to drift. Now, it wasn't until roughly early 2020 um, that it started drifting outside its nominal mission requirement. Fast forward to April 6, 2022, a decision was made for Landsat 7 to exit its 705 kilometer altitude or 438 miles above Earth. So we moved from 705 kilometers down to 697 kilometers. It took three different burn maneuvers, as they call it, to move to the lower orbit. And and that required fuel in order to do that, which is why back in 2017, the decision was made to do the final inclination maneuver in order to reserve enough fuel to be able to, to move the Landsat 7 observatory out of its nominal orbit into a lower orbit. And so April 6 reflected the end of the nominal science mission. And then on May 5th, we resumed uh, science imaging at the lower orbit at 697 kilometers in what we now call the Landsat 7 Extended Science Mission. One thing that's really important with Landsat is this consistency. And that's why you talk about these inclination maneuvers. Make sure Landsat's at that consistent orbit. So is Landsat 7's data no longer consistent with Landsat 8 and 9, or is it still usable? When we moved out of the 705 World Reference System orbit, which is our nominal ground track that both Landsat 8 and Landsat 9 are flying on today, they're both phased um, 180 degrees apart, uh, which allows them to image every piece of Earth uh, every eight days. We moved Landsat 7 out of that 705 orbit and Landsat 9 replaced Landsat 7 in that 705 orbit. And now we're flying at 697, but we're off the World Reference System 2 orbit. And so it's continuing to image, but it's not imaging in a nominal way, meaning that you're not necessarily getting that regular repeat. Yeah, Landsat 8 and 9 will take the same exact footprint with every orbit, so to speak, right? Correct. And Landsat 7, 
not doing that anymore. You can sort of think about Landsat 7 as wobbling back and forth. And currently what's unique about Landsat 7 at its lower orbit and continuing to image is that it's underflying Landsat 8 and Landsat 9. So it's not flying in the WRS2 orbit, but it's flying eight kilometers below in more or less the same orbit, but we're off that sort of nominal orbit that we maintain in order to adhere to the operational mission requirements. And so we're still getting data um, from Landsat 7 and we're underflying Landsat 8 and Landsat 9 on a regular basis as it moves back and forth under each observatory, which is a really neat thing about the Landsat 7 extended science mission. Is the resolution still the same? The resolution uh, is still the same. Okay. Uh, there's been quite a bit of work done in uh, the Landsat calibration validation team to verify the imaging geometry, to verify the imaging radiometry. And then the science portion of the project, we've done extensive analysis um, guaranteeing the quality uh, of the products. And so at this point in Landsat 7's extended science mission, we have high confidence that the data is on par uh, with what we were acquiring and imaging during its nominal mission. Is the processing that happens here at Eros the same as it is for Landsat 8 and 9? Yes, the data is being processed as it was during the nominal science mission, and it's getting processed into Landsat Collection 2 right now. Even though its equatorial crossing time is sort of regressing backwards and not in line with Landsat 8 and 9, that data can still be valuable. Yes, the data still can be valuable, and here's, let me tell you why. So we're, we operate in a sun-synchronous orbit, and so we, we're in a descending orbit, which means we start at the top of the poles, sort of in the Arctic, and we descend down over and cross over the equator, and then we continue down over and fly over Antarctica. And it's and always then, daytime during that descending part of the orbit, right? That's correct. It's always daytime during that descending orbit. And then on the ascending side, it's dark. And then Landsat 7 starts its orbit again over the poles, over the equator, back down to Antarctica. And so we cross over the equator, which is sort of used as the nominal mean local time. But we're still imaging with enough sunlight at the higher and mid latitudes in order for the data to be still useful. And for me, it's really about the solar zenith angle or the elevation of the sun. So the elevation of the sun obviously progresses between the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. So it's overall getting darker as we image earlier and earlier in the day, but we acquire darker data at the poles all the time. And so we're already collecting sort of lower illuminated imagery at the poles. And so drifting to an earlier mean local crossing time, what it enables us to do is to actually acquire the same areas at a lower sun elevation than we would at the nominal science mission. The data is still high quality and it just sets up a condition or a scenario where we can do inner comparisons between the effects of solar illumination on the data and then also how imaging is, is being conducted. So we have, we are a fairly narrow swath imager, plus or minus seven and a half degrees for a total field of view of 15 degrees. The swath is 115 miles wide. 
Yes, or 185 kilometers. So this sets up a, a unique observational scenario to compare Landsat 7 with Landsat 8, and then also compare Landsat 7 data in the lower in a, in, a, in a lower orbit extended mission with data that was acquired in the nominal science mission. And so we begin to understand the importance for things like bidirectional reflectance distribution or solar illumination corrections, things that really impact the observations. Um, and so this is sort of one of the unique aspects of the mission. And then also operating three Landsats at one time uh, is something that we've never done in the mission history. And so this is also another unique aspect uh, of this extended science mission. We've never had three Landsats operating at the same time before, like we are doing right now. Yeah, conducting what it would say science imaging at okay. one at at once. Well, the more data, the better. That's right. Yeah, the more data, the better. And and one of the unique aspects is that because we have three observatories, uh, we're now collecting data, and we can begin to evaluate. Um, the timing uh, of imaging and whether there's added value of there from an observational frequency perspective. So you can imagine a, a scenario where Landsat 7 is flying over imaging a particular area and then Landsat 8 is coming over an hour and 15 or an hour and 20 minutes later imaging the same area. And so because we know these observatories so well, we know their calibration, we know the data quality, we process it consistently, we can really use this data to understand in much greater detail the quality of the data so that the quality assurance information, whether the clouds have changed. Do we happen to know how many images Landsat 7 is acquiring every day? So we are acquiring up to 450 images per day in the extended science mission. And this is actually not much of a departure from what we were doing during the nominal science mission. Same as always then. Same as always, pretty much. And so, you know, one of the things that we spent a lot of time doing in, in, in the weeks and months leading up to the decision to continue the extended science mission is that the operations team and the planning teams, flight operations, did a lot of work to understand if we could continue to image in a sort of full capacity mode during this extended science mission. So we're still imaging roughly 80% of the Earth's land surface area. Okay. Including coastal zones. Okay. And islands and corals. Well, there's still a lot that it's doing. It's doing. It's doing a lot. We've 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 seen some very uh, interesting examples during the extended science mission, being able to capture uh, wildfires or fire fire fronts, and then uh, also uh, some of the hurricane impacts um, from Hurricane Ian uh, down in Florida a couple of months ago. Landsat so, Seven got one of the first images after the hurricane cleared. It still has the data gaps, right? It still has the data gaps. Can't get around the scanline corrector. Um, issue. That scanline corrector issue that happened back in 2003, we lose, is it something like 22% of the data? There's these black stripes running through the data. Right. Yes. It's, there's some There's some black stripes running through through that. But the data that is recorded is the same high quality as we would expect. It is the same high quality. And, and I'd like to add that another aspect to Landsat observations is we oftentimes think about the reflectance data that we get from Landsat 7. 
but it's also carrying a thermal a thermal infrared capability on board as well. And so that's uh, at 60 meter resolution. That's the finest spatial resolution that we've ever collected with thermal observation. So for example, uh, Landsat 8 uh, uh, tiers and Landsat 9 tiers collect data at 100 meters spatial resolution. So Landsat 7's sort of 60 meter thermal data is another uh, uh, another strong element to the observations. And Landsat 7 has been a remarkably stable instrument over its lifetime. How much longer can Landsat 7 go on like this? The plan is to continue uh, to image. Really, the only thing that's changing is the mean local crossing time. And so that's, you know, getting early and early. I think today here, maybe towards the end of September and October, we were somewhere in the in the area of 835 uh, mean local time at the equator. And nominally, it's what time? And nominally, uh, Landsat 7 was 10 a.m. plus or minus 15 minutes. Okay. So we could wobble between... 10 a.m. within a 15-minute envelope uh, and still be within our mission requirements. So as I was speaking about earlier um, is that uh, at some point, I think it was in 2020, we started drifting outside um, that sort of plus or minus 15 degree uh, that's centered on 10 a.m. But we've done analysis to show that we can continue to image up through uh, 8 a.m. and and that, that, we, that would result in continuing observations through uh, the July of 2023, which gets us into uh, the next Northern Hemisphere growing season. And so the decision was made to just do periodic um, evaluation um, from the scientific viewpoint, from the calibration and validation viewpoint, and then the, also the operations team uh, would continue to monitor the, the observatory and that we would, we would periodically reevaluate uh, whether we can continue without degrading the quality of the data or creating sort of um, a risk um, that would need to be mitigated. And so one of the things um, that, that we sort of used, at least from the scientific viewpoint, um, back in 2000, right after Landsat 7 got launched, uh, NASA launched the NASA Earth Observer 1 mission, which carried the advanced land imager, as well as the first imaging spectrometer, spaceborne imaging spectrometer known as the Hyperion instrument. It flew alongside with Landsat 7 for early in its lifetime, early in the 2000s. And then its orbit began to drift uh, after 2011. And so we've referred to the NASA Earth Observer 1 mission, which ended up flying all the way to 8 a.m. mean local time at the equator as a pathfinder for understanding how we might operate Landsat 7 in an extended science mission mode. And we found that to be very helpful. You have something of a playbook to work with as you as you evaluate the Landsat 7. A little data. bit, a little bit. Back in 2015, when I was uh, prior to coming to Eros, I was working at, at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and I worked quite a bit with the Earth Observer 1 team there and got to understand a little bit more about that observatory. And so, um, you know, they've published a couple of good papers back in 2016, 2017 on, on the extended uh, science mission for Earth Observer 1 and the value. And so I sort of, we sort of use that to continue Landsat 7. We have a lot of confidence that the data can be used in sort of a nominal context up through 2020. 
when we get into 2021 and now 2022, and then, you know, as we move into 2023, we probably ought to employ a little bit more caution in terms of how we're using the data. But that's what we're hoping that the user community will sort of uptake this data and do some interesting analysis. And maybe we might learn something that we didn't know about Landsat 7 or given the fact that it's flying underneath Landsat 8 and Landsat 9 right now, gives us a unique opportunity, a u- unique snapshot of um, Earth Earth imagery. And I think that um, as we move forward, uh, the USGS will determine how to best incorporate this extended science mission into the sort of long-term collection-based archive. That being said, we are processing the data into the collection to products because that's our current specification for data product generation. Um, But this is sort of in a continual evaluation and we're hoping that the user community can help us understand uh, the quality of the data during the extended science mission. Is there anything else that you think we need to add? So I started using Landsat 7 data in 2005 when the USGS was still distributing the data on CD-ROMs, I was working on a project looking at the conversion of rural landscapes to uh, impervious surfaces in the, in the greater uh, Charlotte region uh, in North Carolina at that time. You know, Landsat 7 has a, a very special place with me in the fact that when I was doing my PhD research at the University of Minnesota, uh, I started at a time in 2008 when they opened up the Landsat archive for free and open access. And then I finished my graduate work in 2013, just right after the launch of Landsat 8. So when I was using Landsat 7, Landsat 7 data, it was before we had collections and it's before we had Landsat 8. So Landsat 7 and Landsat 5, when I was starting to use Landsat data, were the only game in town. And so since that time, you know, Landsat 7 then was operating with Landsat 8, and then we've now replaced Landsat 7 with Landsat 9. And now we're now in this extended science uh, mission. And these experiences uh, with Landsat um, is I've kind of grown up along with Landsat 7 as it's ended, uh, as it's worked towards its, uh, you know, end of its mission. And so I felt very strongly uh, that the USGS should continue to image um, because there was a lot of value potentially there uh, in flying at a lower orbit uh, and acquiring data while it was under flying Landsat 8 and Landsat 9. And uh, I'm very excited about what we've been able to achieve so far. I'd like to thank Chris for updating us on the status of Landsat 7 and the extended science mission and the data that the user community can continue to use with Landsat 7. And thank you listeners for joining us on Eyes on Earth. You can find all our shows on the USGS Eros website. You can also follow Eros on Facebook or Twitter to find the latest episodes or to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. This podcast, this podcast, this podcast, this podcast is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey, Department of Interior.